0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Tidal Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And as you know, I'm coming to you from Cat Swamp Road, and I want to thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. But before we do anything, I want to give a big old Cat Swamp Road shout-out to the Panic Family Farm in Albion, New York. And Mr. Jim Panic. he listens to me on Rural Radio, Sirius XM Channel 147 on Saturdays. But I had a nice conversation over the telephone with his son Phil Panic, and he sent me some pictures of the operation. And he also sent me some pictures in the tractor cab with some upcoming farmers. And that is his family. So that is Preston, Hannah, and baby Sadie. And they were riding in the cab of the tractor with their dad and their husband phil phil caitlin is the wife and they were putting some seed and look like they're putting some corn in the ground and they have a from what i they send me a bunch of pictures and it's a beautiful beautiful operation and quite a big operation uh if you consider any place let alone in the east coast uh they're up in uh, new york state Uh, in the albion region and uh they are uh running about eleven thousand acres up there so it's quite a huge operation and i'm looking forward to going up there and seeing the operation going over some of the equipment with them they have and doing an on the road podcast with them and uh so it's a uh, like I say, a very, very, very interesting family, interesting operation. And the way I met them is through Arthur Santos from Fent because the Panic family is having any momentum planter uh, demonstrated up there run near farm so Arthur invited me to come up but I could not make it so once again a big old shout out to the Panic family in Albion New York Jim who listens to me on the radio the other guys nobody else listens to me but uh and then Phil their son and his wife Caitlin, and their, and Phil's son Preston, his daughter Hannah, and then baby Sadie. She's riding in the tractor there. She's over. I'm terrible with children's ages, but it's a beautiful, beautiful family. So I want to thank you so much for that. Also, uh, last week my wife got into an accident with her escape. It was not her fault. Not because she's my wife. She was going straight, and somebody made her right on red in town and whacked her with a Subaru, out of all things to be whacked with a Subaru, all right, uh, you know how I feel about that stuff, but uh, but what happened was that this person turned to make an illegal, well, I don't know if it was illegal right on red, I think in Jersey you could make a right on red unless the sign says that you can't, but uh, what happened was that you're supposed to stop and go unsafe, right, obviously he didn't stop and go safe so charlotte was going straight and he turned and he hit the gas and he turned and hit her but uh the bad part about it is it hit she he whacked her on the right front wheel and it's a front wheel drive car and the whole the whole wheel and tire is 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 can is got a lot of negative camber the wheel is just about the tire is just about rubbing on the strut the fender is uh smashed in not too badly uh and then because the defendant being smashed in the door only opens about 10 or 20 degrees but the real damage is that he whacked her right on that right front wheel so sadly i don't know uh we're going back and forth with the insurance company police came and uh, they wrote the report up and they issued the um the person who hit her a ticket hit charlotte a ticket for making an illegal turn and I'm going back and forth with his insurance company. And as far as getting Charlotte a rental car to go to work in, she's driving the old ZX2 now, which is good, runs great. But uh, it's 24 years old, has the original fuel, fuel pump in it. And I did a timing belt on it in 2009. So it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a great car to run around Hackettstown, go grocery shopping or what have you. But then, it's not that it won't go down to, to Bloomfield 100 miles a day. But when you're pushing stuff that's 24, 25 years old, uh, I don't want her to be broken down. So they're going to, I mean, she's, we're entitled to a rental car, but this insurance company is giving us a hard time. So we'll see. So God willing, hey, nobody got hurt. And Charlotte calls the nickname of her escape is Ginger because the color is called Ginger Ale. And uh, I'd rather have Ginger the escape injured instead of Ginger, my cat, one of our cats injured. So Ginger the cat is is fine, and the escape is uh, a little bit cockeyed there. Well, the wheel is cockeyed. All right, next thing on the list. Get through this quickly. Is that I got an email the other day from Ford Motor Company, and I was looking for a uh, pickup truck to road test and to, to go to. Uh, pick up my fertilizer as i started to say but i'm not using i'm not uh, i'm not first of all i'm not taking an electric truck there it's 245 miles one way excuse me to ben hushin's sh- uh, not shop facility the mill down in bel-air maryland and uh, no electric truck with uh, the 275 gallon total fertilizer in the back is going to make that without being stopped to be charged many times or at least one or two times so I don't want any electric trucks so they didn't have anything uh the 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 press fleets for all the manufacturers are still very 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 thin and uh, I don't understand why that is but it is of course it used to be well COVID and then post-COVID supply chains So who knows but GM uh forget about Stellantis because they won't give me a time of day but uh and Ford has very little press fleet and but they did come back to me and say to me well you know uh would you mind would you be interested in in road testing oh the new 700 horsepower Raptor R so it didn't take much arm twisting for me to say yes to a 700 horsepower pickup truck, but that's not going to go be used to go get my fertilizer, because I'm not going to get that till June 23rd for a week, and uh, God willing, I'm going to have corn, uh, eh, maybe not knee high, close to knee high by then. But we are going to be doing a road test on this on a uh, 2023 Ford Raptor R so uh the world definitely does need a 700 horsepower pickup truck and i will tell you all about it and we'll do it on the radio show and on idle chatter all right so that is that let me see what else i got on my list of things here uh mike warren Mike Werner is going to be on my On the Road podcast, and I hope you're listening, Mike. I'm going to send you that road headset for you to check out on your telephone, and then we can get ready to roll. And for those of you who don't know, is that the the, the uh, On the roads that I will do over the telephone... I'm going to try to send the per- or I'm not going to, I'm going to send the person a very high quality headset with a high quality microphone and so that I have the best audio possible. So Mike is gonna be the guinea pig for that and see if it works. And let me see what else. Uh, okay uh, my sprayer. I got my sprayer uh, all put back together which is, I mean, which is no big deal. And it seems to be working beautifully, thank God, at this particular point. And I took that whole, uh, that whole, I replaced the entire suction side of the sprayer and I could see nothing at all wrong with it. So what I'm gonna do is I am going to bring it down to my friend's shop and I'm gonna use his smoke test machine. But it's that Schedule 80 plastic pipe so I have to get a plug for the one end of the Schedule 80 plastic pipe, and I'm going to plug at that end of it, and then I'm going to uh, put the smoke machine in there and smoke test it because it definitely is uh, working well now, and I cannot see anything wrong. I think, honestly, the one of the seals in the shut-off valve was, uh, probably was starting to leak. And since it's the suction side, you wouldn't see a leaking liquid. It would be sucking. It would be sucking vacuum, a leaking vacuum, and not be able to move the product. So we will see. But thank God that is working so far, so good. And let me see what else I have here. And I've said that a couple of times on this show and on the radio show is that I, I, here it is. I don't have one myself, right? But <laughs> but like I said, I I uh, <clears throat> I'm guilty with an explanation because. I have a lot of friends with this equipment and I'm not that remote. So, uh, I could go to town and say, "Hey, yeah, geez, can I use your, can I use your smoke machine or what have you? So can I use your scanner? And that's why I haven't invested in those things. But, uh, a smoke machine or smoke smoke tester whatever you want to call it is certainly a worthwhile investment for anybody who's working on equipment engines hydraulics farm any type of farm equipment vacuum planters right so uh it uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it it makes it it produces a non-toxic and non-flammable smoke and uses shop air to push that smoke into whatever you're testing whether it's an engine or a sprayer or a planter and then it fills up with this smoke and then you look for the leak right you'd let the leak out so that is so i'm going to hopefully do that because i need to find <clears> the <throat> smoking gun with this sprayer I mean everything is new so i mean it wasn't everything everything is not new because i I diagnosed by throwing new stuff at it the manifold was was, had a pinhole in the plastic manifold and it was starting to leak and then the uh, the pump seal started to leak and the only thing that was old on it was the suction side which is uh from 2009 so 14 years old uh, the tank itself and the frame is not going to make any difference. And since I was doing that, I put new hoses on. Of course, you're not going to put 14-year-old hoses back on. So what have you. I don't want you to think that here it is. I'm diagnosing by throwing parts at it. But that is not the case. Those parts were uh, causing a problem. and But but replacing those parts, that the problem of them leaking, did not solve the problem of, uh, of it not wanting to take prime and start to move product so that is that uh i'm gonna take the uh ranger down to ben hushens the old 21 year old ford ranger and i'm gonna to have to make a couple of trips back and forth down to ben's to uh, get my fertility program so hopefully i'm gonna do that this week uh, well hopefully i would have done that at least one trip prior to this podcast episode dropping excuse me and then uh another pro- oh, let me see what else here Oh, well, one other thing is that uh i have it. it it's an well i'll tell you it's from the 1960s my father bought it excuse me a, a, a shure i believe it's pronounced shure uh battery charger a small battery charger it's like a tabletop one it's not one with wheels it has no jump start capabilities on it and this battery charger it's a it's an old sure battery charger and uh i haven't used it for years and i started to use it now the thing is unbelievable it's been a it's it's been neglected its entire life from let's say 1966 and uh american made right back to my point of uh last week or the week before and it and why I mean it's been neglected it's been in bad environments and damp environments it hasn't been uh I mean, it wasn't like it was tossed around or thrown around or it's dented, but, you know, uh, you figure over 50 years on the farm, 55 years in damp environments. It was in the basement of the farmhouse, and uh, you plug that thing into mm, like that. It just hums, and the needle works It works beautifully. And uh, the only thing is the other day I was using it, and the spring from the alligator clip, from one of the alligator clips after 60 years rusted and broke right which you can't complain about that so I had a set of alligator clips that I I thought I had them in my toolbox they're actually quite nice and uh, my cousin who worked for the phone company years ago uh, five fingered discounted them for me that was about thirty-five or forty years ago, maybe thirty, maybe thirty years ago, thirty, about thirty-five years ago. And I remember I said I have some alligator clips that my cousin gave me, and uh, they were quite nice. They were not the screw type. I like to use the screw type, but you 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 just uh, bare the wire and put underneath the screw and tighten it up. But they were the solder type, which was fine. But I'll tell you one thing, boy, with this cataract, unbelievable. Uh, it was not a pretty solder job between the cataract and my hand shaking it is not a pretty solder job but it works and it has a connection and the battery charger works fine but what has happened what happened was many 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 years ago i was a young man i was in college my friend glenn nadel i was going to do breaks on his buick bjork century he had gotten into an accident and or and he uh the car got hit on the right well, left rear wheel and uh, i couldn't get the drum it was functional but i couldn't get the drum off and it was it was literally like single digits i'm working outside and make a long story short i got very very sick after doing his rear brakes and I had a very high fever, I don't know, 104, 105 was very high, and then uh, I had that for a couple of days, I was quite ill, and then I got better, obviously, but ever since I got, well, when I got better, two things happened, I always had a tremor in my hands, I mean, so if I was to look to, 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 it wasn't like it's a Parkinson's type of tremor where like, I'm really, really shaking, but I don't have steady hands. I never did. I had steady hands prior to that, to, to that incident where I did the breaks and got that high fever. So I don't know what had happened, what had happened. And then over the years, it's gotten a little bit worse and it's very hard for me to do delicate work and uh, the other thing that had happened when I got that high fever before my hands started to shake twice twice a year like a snake I would shed my skin on my hands it would peel off like a snake skin it was I don't remember what time of year but it was twice a year and that happened for about five or six or seven years and that miraculously excuse me miraculously let me just kill this for a second okay i'm back miraculously healed itself but the tremor never never went away and uh like i say it's it's not terrible but doing delicate work like that and between the cataract in my eye and i said oh my god i said this is this is terrible what a embarrassing solder job i'm not doing any on the board soldering with, with with this with between my eyes and my hand shaking but the funny part about it is that I uh, because of this tremor in my hands and I don't drink I, I I've never I never drank I'm not a drinker I'm a milk drinker I never drank and uh, not being judgmental of somebody who does I never had a cigarette in my mouth I never had any drugs, never drank, never smoked, never did anything never had a cigar. So, uh, be and because I, do, I don't, dr- I don't drink. So sometimes you go someplace for business or whatever, and be out for dinner and have oh, a drink. You know, and I say, no, no, thank you. I think I've told you this before. No, 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 thank you. I don't drink. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I have to figure out a better way to say that. I don't know if there is a better way, because people I've come and it took me a while to recognize that, but the, I, they act as if. What they interpret is probably the best way for me to say that statement as like I'm a recovering alcoholic. No, like, oh, no, I don't drink. I don't, I don't. Maybe I say it too aggressively. Say, no, thank you. I don't drink. I don't drink. Uh, no, thank you. And uh, so they they look at me as uh, as they assume that I'm a recovering alcoholic, which could not be any further from the truth. And then they see my hands shaking, like if I'm <laughs> grabbing a glass of water and no, I don't drink. Oh, the water, please! My hands quivering, and they're well convinced that I'm a recovering alcoholic that has the DTS, and right, I'm shaking from from that. So, uh, so I i don't know how i have to handle that thank god i don't go out to go out too much with people for business so uh, but i've had that happen and took as i said it took me the longest time to recognize that that's what was being thought and that was the assumption that was being made so uh but that is that let me see what else is going on here i think i went through the whole list so uh we will start to get into the show no there's one other thing here i made my list but i didn't go in order right which is not good oh all right this is where i said early on in today in this episode i wanted to ask your opinion and so you could uh, i'd be greatly appreciative if um if you would let me know it's hot rod farmer farm machinery digest.com and you can either say yes or no, you don't have to type a lot or do anything or what have you. But uh, just to recap, what I did is I changed it that I'm going to be doing more on the roads uh, because they're very well received, and I spoke about that just a few minutes ago. And And before we had the on the road podcast with post on monday and i moved that now to thursday and on mondays i am posting or sue moore is posting for me the back episodes in succession in the proper order that they aired of idle chatter so every week you're getting two idle chatters you're getting an old episode from four or five years ago and then you're getting a new episode today and wednesday so the old episodes are airing on monday and so far they have been I very well received from the feedback i have gotten uh so and never be afraid to tell me no or you don't like it because uh i want this to be your show so on so we have old uh, a rerun of vital chatter on monday we have the two sh- uh, we have uh, bushels and cents on tuesday <clears throat> idle chatter on wednesday thursday we have it on the road if we have it and if we don't do an on the road episode that week we have nothing and then friday is the hot rod farmer minute and the pushers and cents and hot rod Farmer minute i said before and if you listen to them they're up there minute shows 65 to 70 second shows and then on saturday is the uh, the rerun or the re-air of the previous week's farm machinery digest radio so that's a pretty full schedule and there's a lot of me out there <laughs> to listen to if you choose to but for all intents and purposes the hot rod farm a minute in the bushels and sense that they're a minute apiece. So yeah i mean so you'd have two minutes a week listening to that if you if you do do that so on my website farmmachinerydigest.com and what i've come to see i have enough data now to uh to start to assign some some reality or some get to make some semblance or put some clarity to things that there is uh, a certain amount of people that listen to idle chatter and I'm so grateful for that and that seems to be um, the big, the largest audience and there's a, there's a, a, a majority of people who seem to listen to idle chatter listen to the on the road podcast when I do have them I have not been able to glean one way or the other um, the amount of uh, success for lack of or acceptance is probably a better word of the hot rod former million bushels and bushels and cents, and uh, I've I've gleaned that I have a very good level of interest in the uh, on the road podcasts and the old episodes all right so that's basically so the the wild card there is the bushels and cents, and the hot water for a minute but i do supply those to other people and the bushels and cents also airs on rfd tv so i don't plan on stopping those if you choose not to listen well so be it i mean it's fine so but on my so so that's that then you have a certain group of people who also engage my website and listen to listen to a something, whatever that something is. You have a, st- a group of people that that engage the website and read the technical articles there, but don't listen to anything, no audio. And then you have a certain group of people who listen to the radio and, and it goes back and forth. So it's I feel that it's a very healthy mix. Uh, it's all not all your eggs in one basket but obviously I would love for everybody to do everything but that is not practical or real so but on my website under I have technical articles and they're under the the learn tab and then it's the learning series and these are three to five minute reads of a technical subject and what i was thinking of doing and this was where i'm asking you because it's going to be going into your ears if you want it is that i was thinking on thursdays when i do not have an on the road episode to do an audio like a books on tape uh, of the learning series so each week to do a different learning series topic and I would print those off and I would read them. Now I'm not a professional reader, so it's but, I, but it's the point that I'm trying to make is gonna it's gonna be very, very, very tight. It would probably be a three to five minute maximum five minute investment in your time to listen to that. So it's not where I'm gonna be able to go off on tangents and, and, and babble on and ramble on. So I may try it and do uh, maybe four or five of those when i have no on the road podcast and see whether you guys like it they're technical topics if you go to my website farmachinerydigest.com click on the tab that says learn and then click on the tab that says learning a series and you'll see there's about 110 different articles there and i used to post new ones every month but i've kind of the past year i've i've haven't done one every month but there's a lot of inventory there and uh i have no way of telling whether you're reading them or not uh so but the fact of the matter is i thought i would run it past you. let me know what you think so it would be a three to five minute more investment of listening a week that's it and uh and one of the things that was the impetus for it is that so many people have five day a week shows and on rural radio my show is only well it's it premieres on saturday and has a re-air on sunday if it's not uh preempted by a um, rodeo or something which is rare but maybe seven or eight times a year it gets preempted on sunday never on saturday so um so i say to myself well you know i really only have one day a week with idle chatter and maybe two days a week with the back issues of back back episodes of idle chatter so in relations to a a normal radio show i am really one-fifth of the content and somebody like sean hannity used to say oh you know all i ask for you is three hours a day well three hours a day is quite a lot to ask friend from anybody but what my fear is that i am oversaturating you with my content and obviously you could choose to listen to it or not listen to it, but I want to be respectful to you, my audience, and, uh, and see whether you have any interest in it. So I'll, I'll judge by whatever feedback I do get and uh, go from there, and then if I end up do, do, doing a test run and trying it for a month or so, then I will ask you to continue to give me any feedback and say, yeah, you like it or you do not like it. So that is that. What I'm going to do is get my little drink of water here for a second. Yeah, righty. So that is that. Thank you. What are we going to talk about today, a half hour into the show? I'm going to talk about the 700 horsepower Raptor. no, we're not going to talk about that. So uh, I'll talk about that after, after I give it back to Ford. And so you can know all about it and if you have any questions on that truck you know i'm not going to get it till june 23rd six weeks from now just send them to me at hot Hot farmer at farm and i will make sure that i will write them down and make a note so that i can answer you with about and tell you my findings on your question for that truck so that is uh, something that i think uh will be pretty good but w- what i'm going to talk about today is and it gets back to my battery charger and the soldering of the new alligator the, the new old right new old stock they call that in the car restoration business so new old stock I means a new part but it's old it's never been used it's never been out of the box uh excuse me and it's you know uh new old stock alligator clips but i've said this many times before and i think it needs to be readdressed is that agriculture and machinery is getting to be so um focused and rooted in electronic controls and that's nothing that's new to to any of us we have everything is electronic everything is uh i shouldn't say everything but and it's only going to get worse right um and the electronics, the bad thing about electronics is that today specifically is they put a lot of circuitry and a lot of things together. So it's what they call a, mod- a module type of assembly. So on the assembly line, when they build something, they want to put a module on. And they plug this module in and this goes and it, c- it handles three or four or five different things. So it makes it quick and easy to assemble. The negative part about it is that for you to try to re- to to diagnose it because you really can't repair it and that's you know that's one of the things that has uh, really changed in the industry of farm machinery and with vehicles is that you really can't repair much stuff you become a diagnostician and you become and a parts changer so you diagnose well the problem is somewhere in there right and uh, in this module you buy xyz module and you bolt it in or plug it in and do whatever you have to do and now you that's that's uh, maybe it's why they don't call them mechanics anymore they call them technicians because there's very little mechanical aspect of that but the thing is that you have to diagnose it properly and if you don't diagnose it properly then you're off to the races you're basically throwing parts at it like i was so afraid that you would think that i was doing with my sprayer but that was not the case And then carrying that one step further is that when you have all of these electronic controls, you're going to have a myriad of different sensors and wiring harnesses and all the the things that go along with that. So, and I've said this to you before, but I think I need to reinforce it and maybe approach it at a different angle. So many times in life, it's not what my grandmother used to say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And there's a certain, from my perspective, there's a certain onus on you who is listening to this show and those who do not listen to this show that they need to be able to come familiar with diagnostic procedures and some electronic equipment to be able to, and you know, this, this is rooted again in that right to repair. So what I compiled in my mind a list of things and a protocol for you to be able to teach yourself and there's no reason why you can't teach yourself and it's not going to be a large investment what you're going to teach yourself is how to use electronic equipment diagnostic equipment and also how to diagnose electrical or electrical and electronic conditions and problems so now, people don't like working with electricity or diagnosing anything electronic for the simple reason being in, is that it's this mystery, right? You don't see the electrons flowing through the wire. You don't see anything happening. And uh, and it just doesn't work. And other than checking voltage, all right, which most people are decent about checking. I'm not even going to say good, decent about checking then uh, you throw your hands up and start throwing parts at it or bring it to somebody in town or to a, the equipment dealer, the farm implement dealer, or the car dealer, and nine chances out of 10, maybe let's say eight and a half chances out of 10, the person that's working there is really not much more of a diagnostician than you are, and they're basically going to throw parts at it. So how can you teach yourself well the first thing that you need to do is i'll give you a list of equipment that you should invest in all right and it's not going to be a major investment i would say collectively you'll probably have depending upon which models and i'm not going to tell you what model to buy but we're going to go with the we're going we're to go at the most entry level entry level i'd say you probably have four or five hundred dollars invested if even that okay if even that some of the stuff is a little bit more costly you may go if you want to get a little bit more maybe five or six hundred four or five hundred what have you so this is what you're going to need to have you're going to need to have a multimeter and i'm sure everybody has it all right a multimeter and i do not like an auto ranging multimeter all right so some people like it if you're going to have an auto ranging multimeter then i and an auto ranging means it chooses the scale by itself and if you gonna have if you like an auto ranging multimeter then i say to you also invest in an inexpensive um uh, non-auto ranging so uh, that you have to man- manually select the range on the multimeter and have that in your toolbox if you have an old analog with a needle uh, volt ohm meter then definitely do not get rid of that like my old shoe battery charger keep that because there's a time and place for that meter also because it gives you a very good visual all right so and we're going to discuss this in, in in detail today uh the next thing you're gonna to need to do is invest or make up in a set of jumper leads. What you could do is you could go to buy a spool of wire, and if you wanna buy two color wire, two colors of wire, so you have a, a red and a black or a green and a blue, whatever you want, all right, and make up jumper leads with alligator clips, And then I like to make up jumper leads also with at least one spade terminal on the end. So if you wanted to go into a wiring harness that has a spade terminal, you want to unplug it, and you could plug this alligator clip in there, whatever you need to make up some jumper leads of different lengths. You could buy some jumper leads, but if you want to make... It's going to be a lot less expensive for you to make some up yourself. And, you know, I would go from... I'd make you also make some some real long ones and if you don't want to make real long ones have the have the necessary things ingredients i'll say like a cook in the farm shop in your garage a spool of wire and some extra alligator clips and or spade terminals that if the opportunity comes up where you need a, a five foot jumper lead to check a ground circuit on something to do a voltage drop test on a ground circuit that you could make it up and you don't have to have make it up right now and you could just have that or everything in five minutes you got the necessary jumper lead that you uh, to test whatever circuit it is so that's that's that the next thing you should have in your repertoire is to uh get a soldering clamp right because uh to what well, i was just telling you how much trouble i had soldering between my eyesight and my shaky hands well my hands would still be shaking with the soldering gun but if you don't have a a soldering clamp and they're not expensive a couple years back in my uh, hot to bite a hot rod farmer for christmas gift guide i I think they're about 18 dollars all right and if you want to put solder something you hold it in the soldering clamp it stays nice and steady if you want to solder two wires together all right the the wire is staying steady so when you put the soldering gun and the solder next one it's not moving you know you know so the thing is that it's going to make things a lot easier a soldering clamp all right and there's all different types invest a couple of dollars into what you have and make an electronics drawer someplace in your toolbox or whatever and put all of this stuff in there so you know where you need to go for it all right that's my suggestion all right. The next thing I'm and I've said this before on the show is that you should invest in a very inexpensive oscilloscope, and did you could buy a couple. You could buy some for a hundred dollars, one hundred twenty dollars. Not like I was years ago. These are digital scopes. I mean, they're good enough for what you are doing. And I know at least a couple of listeners did invest in those uh, and gave me some very positive feedback on it you could put a threshold of two hundred dollars on that if you want right you don't have to go crazy you'll need a ten thousand dollar oscilloscope right, but you need some sort of a some sort of oscilloscope and then the next thing i'm going to say for you to invest in is a signal generator you say what the heck is a signal generator and you know today with all the advancements in electronics and electronic circuitry all of these as oscilloscope and a signal generator years ago used to be quite expensive you'd be spending a few thousand dollars or at least close to a thousand dollars for a decent unit and you could buy a good enough unit right it's not going to be for engineering work a good enough unit of a signal generator for a hundred dollars or so i'm just gonna get some water and what does a signal generator do is exactly what its name implies it generates a signal so it could generate a square wave it could generate a sine wave a sawtooth sine wave all these different signals then what are you going to do with that signal generator that signal generator and your little mickey mouse oscilloscope that you're going to buy not a lot of money is you're going to teach yourself how to read an oscilloscope because what has what, what needs to happen on today's electronics is you're going to have to confirm a signal and you have to realize that of that the most expensive multimeter only confirms the existence of a signal it doesn't confirm what the signal looks like all right so the thing basically is is that let's say arguably i blindfolded you and then I put a person in front of you and I brought your hands up, I say, feel their face, all right? And tell me whether this is a man or a woman. So, so you feel their face, and you probably put your hand, and you you're tapping their face, and you feel they have a beard and they have a mustache. and you're feeling around, and you say, okay, and you, and you say, well, this is hopefully a man. Well, in today's world, who knows, right? But, but hopefully a man. It's a male, right? And then I put put another person. You're blindfolded, and I feel their face, and you're feeling this texture, their skin. You're feeling feeling. Their face and you and you say, well, geez, you know, uh, this their face is very very smooth. Their hair seems to be long, uh, and I would have to say that this is a a woman. This is a female. All right, so that is what a vault meter. So the so at that particular point, do you know what the man or woman looks like? No. All right, the, the qualifier that you use was that say you felt a beard or a mustache, and on the woman you felt very silky, soft, smooth skin and longer hair. So all you could say is that those are the attributes that made you determine. That's what evolved me. Said, well, there's voltage there, there's ground there. But, it, but you cannot identify what the person looks like if I took the blindfold off you and I put you in an elevator with them, you wouldn't know who they are because you just had an idea of what the, that you were able to identify what their gender was and uh, so in most instances when you're diagnosing something with a lot of electronics is that you're just saying well there's a person here and it's a man or there's a person here and it's a woman you really don't know if there's nobody if you put your hands out and there's nobody there well there's nobody there so and that is why you need an oscilloscope because it makes a picture of of the electrical signal. So what you what I suggest that you do is you invest in an oscilloscope and this signal generator. Now what the signal generator will allow you to do is you could sit at your kitchen table, you could sit in your farm shop, you could sit in the workbench, you could do wherever, right? And you could create these different signals which is very easy it's that some kind of switch and knobs whatever you have to obviously read these are going to be a learning curve to get familiar with read the instructions and you're going to go with your oscilloscope and you're going to be familiar with your oscilloscope and you're going to say "Alrighty, i want to re- know what a sine wave looks like and this is how a sine wave looks and this is how i have to set the oscilloscope to see read a sine wave this is how i have to set the oscilloscope to read a square wave to read a frequency all right this is uh so what this is going to allow you to do very safely at your leisure or wherever you want to do it is that you're going to be able to identify how well, first of all what a sine wave looks like what a proper sine wave looks like, what a proper square wave looks like, what a proper sawtooth sine wave looks like, and how to set your oscilloscope because a multimeter is not going to show those things, as I said, right? And that is what you're going to use it for. So you're going to use the oscilloscope and the signal generator, and you're going to be going to your own trade school, right? And you're going to learn how to use them and what a signal looks like so if you go and you're looking you're working on your combine you're working on your truck you're working on a sprayer you're working on something and you're going to check a signal and once you get familiar with that oscilloscope you're going to use it more than a voltmeter a multimeter right so you say okay fine this is supposed to have a sine wave this is supposed to have a square wave and you go because the biggest thing and i said this before on the show. Then when I worked for Allen Test Products, the oscilloscope manufacturer is that people did not want to know, take the time to learn what looked, what was correct, what what correct signal. They just wanted to know what was wrong with the car and you will never learn that way. You have to know what looks, co- what is correct. You have to know what electrical signal looks. How an electric, how a, how a correct electrical signal is a proper way for me to say it looks. But for you to diagnose a bad one. And the great part about this, if you follow this protocol, and I used to do this years ago, I developed this for when I was teaching oscilloscopes, right? And we used to have a simulator box. So a simulator box made an ignition pattern, made an alternator pattern, made a a primary ignition pattern, a secondary ignition pattern, and you could put the oscilloscope on it and say, look, here's a primary pattern. I used to use it to teach, all right? You don't have to have a running engine, all right? But the beauty part about it, for you to diagnose, they are not looking to make you into an electrical engineer. I'm not looking for you to design the circuit, all right? The thing basically is, is that if you know what it's supposed to look like, and that's why you could get away with an inexpensive oscilloscope. You're not going to be reading the oscilloscope for phase. You're not going to be reading it for for, for anything of an engineering essence you're going to be looking at it to see if it looks like it's supposed to does this does this look like a man does this look like a woman all right and i know today that is confusing right but in electronics is not as confusing as society today believe it or not even though we may think so there's there's no there's there's binary code in electronics but it knows if it's a boy or it's a girl it doesn't change today oh, i think i'll be a girl today i feel i think i'll be a boy today and that is going to be so paramount for you to diagnose things. So if you know, let's say arguably, that you're working on a circuit, let's say on your combine, your spray, whatever you want to say, and you notice it's supposed to have a sign, uh, a uh, a uh, sawtooth sine wave and The engine is not running right, and the crank trigger puts it out the sawtooth sine wave. When you put your, you taught yourself with your little little signal generator, and and now you so you're very comfortable with what a sawtooth sine wave is supposed to look like. That it's supposed to not be squiggly. It's supposed to be clean. It's also do all these different things, which I'm not going to get into here. And the thing is that. You put it onto this, whatever you're testing, let's say this combine engine, right? And you see it doesn't look that way, then you know that's your problem. So all you're basically doing is using it for identification. And that is why, if you were to make a minimal investment in money and some investment in your time, that you will be able to accomplish this and more than greater than to the level that you need even to diagnose. So when you look at something, you're not going to be guessing. You're going to say, nah, the wave coming out of that is clean. Or the wave coming out of there, that, that, uh, that square wave has a lot of noise on it. All right? They could see a lot of noise on it. Without an oscilloscope, you are not going to be able to do that. And without the signal generator, you are not going to be able to teach yourself how to look at an oscilloscope. So basically, it, what I'm telling you to do is get visual learn visual identification of a good signal that's it that's it visual identification boy girl dog cat corn soybean plant that's it. You don't need to go, you don't need to become an agronomist to know that that's a, or a biologist to know that's a cat and the other and the other one is a dog and that's an elephant. You don't need to, be a, a, to study biology or and get a PhD in it. Or you don't need to be an agronomist to go to tell that's a corn plant and that's a soybean plant. But let me ask you something. As a little child, when you went out, when your parents took you out in the world, what were they doing? They were teaching you things through visual Recognition. That's how you teach. You say, Look, 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 here is, I mean, when I was a little kid, I would teach myself about cars, right? Not mechanically, but that was a 66 Chevelle, and that was a 72 Oldsmobile, and this was a a, a whatever, 81 Ford, all right? Because it was visual. If I wasn't able to see them and then have some sort of way to confirm what it was, and I used to go to the library as a little boy, of course, they used to have the Chiltons and the Mitchell's manuals. Then I forgot which one was better, but they used to have the visual recognition. They had photographs of all look the, you the things like the phone book, right? And you look in there and say, okay, Pontiac. <clears throat> and it was from years here to here and it had an actual photo not an illustration of the front of a 66 Bonneville a 72 Plymouth right and they were categorized by brand and you got the visual and I was sitting there in the library study and say look 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 to myself the grill is a little bit different on the 66 versus a 67 or 68 is completely new and that's how I was able to and that's how you would do anything right you were able to identify what is going on by visually knowing what it's supposed to look like and what it is so it's like just like you say well I could see in that picture I never met my grandfather but that's my grandfather because I could see the family resemblance I know what he looks like from the picture so that's all I don't want to scare you And a lot of people are not doing this. And what's going to, and what happens is that they're completely at a loss when it comes to diagnosing something. So you have to first invest in the equipment, which is not going to be expensive, but most important, so many people are so anxious today to, to, uh, I'm going to say write a check. Spend some spend some money, and they think they are getting someplace in life. Well, that's like buying an exercise machine. You buy an exercise machine. You say, oh, "I'm going to exercise," and buy the best exercise palatal. whatever they call that? Thirteen thousand dollars, right? And you buy it, and it was to become a coat rack. You never use it, right? That's that's. I mean, that's very common. All right, you're gonna. You I'm going to buy a good camera, but I'm not going to learn how to use it. So the thing is that buying something and learning how to use it is two different types of investment. The one is a financial investment, and the other one by learning how to use it is an investment in time. But because of the nature of electronics, electronic controls, and all this, people have, an, have a natural, I'm not gonna say fear, not that you're sitting and shaking, all right, but you feel that you can't do it, you don't want it, it's abstract to you, and I understand that it's abstract but if you follow these protocols that i put together then you are going to be able to teach and when you are diagnosing one of the biggest things <laughs> is to have visual recognition all right my wife god bless her love it I love her dearly all right i mean you could have uh, uh <clears throat> let's say uh the transmission sticking out of the back of the wa- sticking through the side of the washing machine, and if she didn't, and and she would not connect the dots. Well, maybe that's why the washing machine doesn't work. She just she would say, well, I don't know, there's something there. Maybe it was always there. All right. So the thing basically is, is that you have, and the way you're going to do it is by teaching yourself. And I will say to you, if you invest in the oscilloscope, you invest in the signal generator, and and make up some leads then I don't think it's going to take you four or five evenings of playing around with it before you exhaust its ability to, to teach you, because... That's it. You're going to know what a square wave looks like. You're going to know what a sawtooth sine wave looks like. You're going to know what a regular sine wave looks like. You're going to know how it all looks. You're going to know how to set your oscilloscope. And make yourself cheat notes, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Take a piece of paper and write down, okay, to check sawtooth sine wave, go to the just switch on a this and b but whatever it is on your little scope and you play with it and then you learn so so if you're not doing it all the time you say okay i gotta check this sensor on this engine i gotta check this sensor on my grain bin and you say okay let me look at this and okay this is how i'm gonna hook it up and you hook it up but you're you may it it's gonna be harder for you to i as much as i loved engines and I'll toot my own horn, toot toot. Right? Is that I was an I was an excellent diagnostician as a young man, and uh, I mean that, that. I mean whatever. I mean I'm just stating a fact. I'm not bragging. But you want to know something? I could not remember firing orders for <laughs> for love of money. I I I could not remember firing orders. I'd have to write the firing order down. We all have our weak links. We all have our areas of something it just doesn't stick in our mind. So it's going to be harder for you to become familiar with the settings on your oscilloscope, but you could write those down. All right. Then recognizing what, whether the sine wave, the sawtooth sine wave or the square wave looks good. All Right. So if you have, and if you have multiple of those uh, outputs on that piece of equipment you're working on, so let's say that there's five uh, sensors on your sprayer and and they all have a supposed to have a square wave and this square wave doesn't look as square as the others well that's a very good indicator of where you need to go to look for your problem so i suggest that you do that it's not going to be complicated And, and i'm repeating it once again you're teaching yourself a visual recognition you're not trying to use cra- phase the sine wave you're not trying to phase the sort the, the the square wave what have you and all right you just want to know yes is, you know that's a corn plant. That's a that's that you know, that that's a soybean plant. That's a sunflower. That's a dog. That's a cat. That's a German Shepherd. That's a Dachshund. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know their DNA, all right? And if you identify that and you're able to do it quickly, then and you know and that's the part that that nobody is talking about with all these electronics. You just need to identify them. Now, the other thing I'm going to suggest that you do is that you. Get very familiar with the multimeters that you that you have, how to use them, uh, their settings, right? If you have one that has scales on a scalable one that I like versus an auto uh <clears throat> auto ranging one. I don't like auto ranging because even if you look remember I had uh, Jim Condon fix my Briggs and Stratton generator. And even if you and it's probably a great example, if you go Jim Condon YouTube and uh, it doesn't have to be my generator all right but uh you look and he's checking something and he uses an auto ranging multimeter which is fine he likes it but when you put the connection on something you see the numbers keep changing and you gotta wait almost like a roulette wheel wait for it to stop for you to read it right Whereas I like to be able to put a connection on there and not wait for a meter to keep going back and forth like an autofocus camera mm, 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 until it focuses in. A lot of people like that. I don't particularly like it. Uh, there's a. I mean, <clears throat> there. Well, I'm. I'm going to say there's a need for it. I don't really think there's a need for it because for a hundred years we use non-auto ranging meters. So I like a. a I like a range selectable meter, and that's what I use. I don't have an auto ranging meter so and i think it brings you more intuitively to the circuit because specifically if you're reading if you're over range then you have a better idea it's like looking to me it's like looking at a road atlas to try to find how to get to someplace versus doing a an internet instructions or a google search and just take route eight and do this blah 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 all right you get to see the bigger picture but nothing wrong with auto-ranging meters it's just that they're slower to respond and then uh, i And then if the connection comes off for a second or a little bit loose, it goes through this whole rigmarole of auto-ranging again. But if you have that, that's fine. If you like it, that's fine. But what I would also do is invest in it. And you could buy a cheap cheap multimeter for $25, all right? You're not doing NASA work, all right? Now keep in mind, though, that when you are reading with any multimeter, a $1,000 one or a $10 one, all right, if you're reading resistance, it's not a multi- even if it's just an ohm meter, you have to put the two leads together and you need to read the internal resistance of the meter. And this only truly comes into play if you're reading circuits with very low resistance in them. So 3 tenths of an ohm, 4 tenths of an ohm. Let's say you're checking a ground circuit, all right, or you do whatever you may be doing, right, or continuity of something, then the thing is that if you're doing something that has 10, 20, 30,000 ohms, who cares if the meter has a half-ohm resistance in it? Right, internal resistance, and what you basically do, you put it on the ohm scale, whether it's an auto ranging or a range selectable meter. For, and if it's range selectable, you're going to look at it at the range you're going to use, whether it's 200 ohm range, 2,000 ohm range, 20,000 ohm range. All right, and that means think of that range just as full deflect like a speedometer. I got a speedometer that goes up to 100. A speedometer that goes up to 120. So if you're going a if you're going 100 miles an hour and you have a speedometer that goes up to 80 then after 80 miles per hour you can't accurately read it so a 200 ohm scale means that the maximum it'll read is 200 ohms so it gives you more resolution down at the lower resistance. If it, you're reading twenty thousand ohms or scale, that means the maximum could go to is twenty thousand, but it's not going to be accurate reading. It would be like saying that you have a tire pressure gauge that goes up to a thousand pounds, and you're trying to read twelve pounds in a lawn in a, in a lawn tractor tire. It's not going to read it accurately because there's not this way. There's not enough resolution in the range that you need to look at so but what you need to do to get back to checking the internal resistance so if you're going to look re let's say check a switch or check a light bulb right then what you need to do is you're going you're going to use the lowest ohm scale if it's a range selectable 200 ohms you're going to put the two leads together the positive and negative an ohm meter has no polarity to it it makes no difference an ohm meter and then you're going to come, and if it's auto-ranging, let it let it auto-range. If it's a selectable one, let it come down and see with the two leads together what the internal resistance of the meter is. The cheaper the meter, the greater the internal resistance. And then also, if you're going to be doing something through jumper wires, you made up those jumper wires. You listened to me, and you made up the jumper wires, or you bought jumper wires, all right? And then what you're going to do is you're going to check the meter before you do your diagnostics with the the internal resistance and then you're going to hook it up to your jumper wires and check the internal resistance with the jumper wires because you will find that jumper wires will have a tendency to increase the what i'm going to say the internal resistance of the meter all right because of the length and the different gauge and the connections you have so it's very very important if you're checking a circuit with a jumper wire or a component with a jumper wire and says, th- uh, and the flow chart says uh, three ohms or less, or th- over three ohms. And you have with the jumper wire, you have... An internal resistance of almost an ohm, let's say eight and nine tenths of an ohm. Well, there's not much of a threshold there in diagnosing because that can very easily skew you. So, if your meter, if your meter reads one ohm, one ohm with the uh, hooked up to this whatever to this relay, whatever it may be, and you have one ohm of internal resistance, the meter is going to read two because it's seeing that internal resistance. So it's very very simple. All right, it's like it's basically. In essence, on an old analog meter, you used to do that and it had a knob, it would be zeroing the meter. You'd put the leads together and you would zero it. And if you wrote and it's very important, like I said, for when you're diagnosing using jumper jumper wires of any length. For you and for resistance, not for amperage, or not for current flow, only for voltage. But to run resistance to zero the meter and see what the internal resi- see what the internal resistance is. Like I said, you're checking an ignition coil and it's it's 12,000 ohms. Don't worry about it. Whether it's 12,000, two ohms or 11,098 ohms doesn't make any difference all right but get into that habit and just like a good machinist will always know how to work and follow the same protocols with his with his his measuring instruments you will follow the same protocols you will go and check the internal resistance even though if you're checking the windings of the blower motor on your grain bin or i mean your grain dryer because it'll become second nature to you to check that all right so now you should also have a analog type of they used to they didn't call those multimeters they used to call them digital volt-ohm, I mean not digital voltometers. there could be a it could be one that checks amperage a multimeter checks more than one thing. A volt-ohm meter, which it was years ago, checks voltage and checks resistance. It doesn't check current, all right? So these, because of this advanced electronic circuitries that they have and the inexpensive way they could produce it, all right, they usually have these meters check a whole bunch of different things. But what's nice about a, a, an analog with a needle meter all right is to have and that should be part of your repertoire is that that needle will respond very quickly and it'll respond quicker than either of uh, a, a di- any type of a digital meter let's put it that way all right because a digital meter of any type has a processing circuit in it so it's taking this reading so let's say it's taking ohms or voltage or amperage whatever it is looking at right and it's got to process this and it interprets it and then it has to make some sort of determination and then it lights up digitally on this meter some value whatever the value is where you're looking at amperage voltage ohms or whatever okay so there's that processing it's almost like talking to respectfully talking to someone that english is a second language and lots of times when I meet people like that, I'll ask them respectfully because I'm interested in people. And uh, in our church, we had a uh, a very nice Korean man for a while that was a pastor, right? He was from South Korea. Very, very nice uh, pastor, Kim, K-I-M. And he was a young guy, young wife, very pretty wife, two beautiful children, very nice guy, salt-of-the-earth man. And I said to him, Pastor Kim, I said let me ask you a question you 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 speak perfect english beautiful english uh beautifully i should say no proper english myself right and the thing is that i said but do you think in english or do you think in korean so he says to me no i think in korean and you will find that with people that take english as a second language so just like if you say to me right not talking a language but if you say to me a measurement and i grew up and i with the english with the english system right inches feet miles per hour right? and so if somebody says to me something and i have to and they tell me and i'm speaking to somebody from canada and they're giving me oh it's 160 kilometers or clicks as people would as they would say up in canada to to there where you have to go is that i have to convert that in my mind So there is a slight processing delay. So I say, well, 160 clicks, it's about 100 miles to where I have to go yet. All right, so there's that. So when you have a digital meter of any type, you're going to have that processing delay. And the more expensive the meter, the better the meter in that regard is you're going to have less of a processing delay it's going to process quicker the cheaper the meter is going to be more of a processing delay and that's why when you get to an auto ranging meter and specifically a cheap one like i say it goes like an auto focus camera in and out the numbers are changing changing and then five seconds eight seconds whatever maybe it seems like an eternity it comes to a value all right the thing is that even if you have a digital scalable meter like i like it's still going to have to interpret that that signal whatever it is and it's going to have to take it and then i light up the proper numerals on the display to read it all right when you have an analog meter the needle is just very it's it's like you touching a hot stove Whoop your hand you pull your hand right off right so the needle the sweep of the needle and we call that in, in 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 engineering the sweep of the needle is going to give you Uh, a very true indicator of what's happening and if you're looking for a signal a voltage or something that's dropping out and you're putting let's say you're putting it in in series in the circuit or parallel whatever it may be whether you're reading amperage or you're reading voltage or resistance what have you and you're using a auto ranging meter you'll never catch it because what you'll basically end up seeing is that it starts to auto-range, and that's going to be your indicator all right and in that particular instance a cheaper auto ranging meter that takes longer to auto range is probably better than a real expensive fast one and auto ranges quickly all right but you're still not going to be able to catch it uh, i shouldn't say you're not it's going to be harder to catch it but you could have let's say you have some sort of electrical problem in your truck with your combine right and you have this this meter there and you don't even care what the scale is with the analog you see whoop the, meter, the needle moved right the needle moved so i know something happened it hiccuped right there and you know on drag race engines like on the pro stocks and pro mods is that uh, well they run a vacuum in the crankcase and they run a vacuum in the crank instead of a vacuum pump and it pulls a vacuum in the crankcase to get more rpm out of the engine so the engine is not fighting the pressure of the pistons going up and down because you know, when the piston goes down it's pushing the air into the crankcase and they use a dry sump all right so they're not worried about the oil they're worried about the air movement the air pressure from the pistons and everything moving up and down they're trying to get the most horsepower so what they do is they pull a vacuum on the crankcase right so that the engine there's less parasitic loss of the pistons going up and down but then what they'll do is that they'll have a tank a vacuum tank and they will go and they will run a vacuum gauge up where the driver could see it usually it's on the hood or near the dash or near the dash or near the cowl there all right and the thing is what they use the vacuum gauge for on the cr- on the crankcase, it says crankcase vacuum on a dry sump system. All right, and this gets back to my sprayer. I was saying I, I was losing my siphon. Is that when they look at that and they'll data record the vacuum? If they see that vacuum drop off for a second during that run, then that engine detonated. It detonated because when it detonates, the piston shakes, vibrates, the rings vibrate, and they're going to break this. The, i'm gonna call it the siphon the vacuum seal for a split second on that crankcase so that's what they do is they look at that all right now the data recorded they won't use a gauge and tell a guy to watch the gauge and watch attack and watch everything all right they'll data record it and say whoop over there look top of you know top of second gear she detonated at this at the 500 foot mark whatever the thing base is and they'll look at that so the thing is that because that, that vacuum signal will be very, very knee-jerk. And the thing is, you're gonna need to have times you're gonna have to have knee-jerk responses and acknowledgements. And like I say, with an analog meter, boop, that needle moves right away. That's like seeing that vacuum on the crankcase Drop off for a split second, a nanosecond, and when that happens, the engine detonated. When that happens on your electrical diagnosis, you know that you got a problem there. Is it voltage? Is it ground? That is whatever it may be. All right, and so you need to have just like in your toolbox, you need a whole bunch of different box end wrenches. You need straight box ends. You need offset box ends. You need ratcheting box ends. You need twelve point box ends. You need six point box and You can't be a mechanic of one wrench, right? and one screwdriver how many screwdrivers do you need how many different pair of pliers do you need all right so as we get ready to close here all right i want to just bring up another aspect so once you learn how to use the scales on your multimeter whatever type you have then go to i don't even know if they exist anymore but you could buy mail order. buy yourself cheap 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 like a bird cheap you're not going to do anything with it but teach yourself buy a bunch of resistors buy a bunch of diodes buy a buy some zener diodes a zener diode has what they call an avalanche avalanche voltage because a diode is a one-way check valve all right and it only lets current flow one way. When the diode goes bad, it flows two ways, and that's why when you have a bad diode in an alternator, it creates what's called unrectified AC, and it goes above and below. It, 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 it it well. An alternator supposed to have just above the zero crossing. It goes above and below the zero crossing. But most electronics they have diodes in them, right? They have so you want to check a resistance so you buy a handful of cheap resistors and the resistors will usually be marked 5 ohms 10 ohms 50 ohms all right get get old ignition coil old 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 relays old fuel injectors electronic fuel injectors right and then go with your meter on your workbench and say okay well this and start and, and you know just like learning how to read a micrometer if you don't, they like say it's visual. You have to under, you have to have a visual component of it. So say, okay, fine. If I want to check a resistor, all right, this is how I have to do it. This and reverse the leads, do everything, and you'd be surprised if you if you do this with some semblance of order and start out with first, okay, I'm going to make the investment. Then in the oscilloscope, make the investment in the meters. I'm going to make the investment in this signal generator. Fine. All right, then you have your multimedia. You probably have one right now, all right? So invest $5 in different resistors and and, and cheap, chinese resistors that skew like anything but they're going to teach you how to use the meter accurately and you're going to be so intuitive just like riding down the road at 70 miles an hour and you have somebody with you from the city and say what is that grown up field oh that's alfalfa you don't have to start oh what's in that field over there oh that's soybeans oh what's in that field over there that's sugar beets all right so you once you get to do this and start to do it it's going to be so simple, and then you're going to move up after you have the multimeter uh, down pat. Then you're going to play with the signal generator. You're going to play with the oscilloscope, and you are going to become a diagnostician for electrical problems extraordinaire, all right? You're not going to be shaking in fear. You're not going to be spending money to give it to somebody else who's going to throw parts at it. You're going to diagnose with confidence because all you have to do is, is recognize what looks good and what looks bad. And you're not going to try to engineer the circuit and design the circuit. So just like you know what a flat tire looks like, and you know look what a tire looks like with air in it. That's it, and that's all, all you have to do. So if you follow those protocols, Then you will become you will become the 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 go to person. But most importantly, you are going to be able to diagnose something quickly and efficiently and with confidence. Get that piece of farm equipment back going, or that vehicle, or that grain bin dryer, or whatever it may be that you have that irrigation pump, whatever multitude of things you're going to be able to look at it with confidence because you're going to say yes, that switch is open. Yes, that relay is sticking. Yes, this signal is this, this skewing from this sensor because I saw it on my oscilloscope. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in and know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and the American rancher. And let me know about those learning series shows. I don't want to be shoving stuff at you if you don't want Have a blessed day and I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.